Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Jenny Perry. She's the Chief Marketing Officer at Grove Collaborative, a sustainable consumer products company. Grove creates and curates high-performing planet-first products across household cleaning, personal care, laundry, clean beauty, and pet categories. Jenny leads their marketing strategy and is responsible for product marketing and driving consumer engagement and product demand. Prior to joining Grove, Jenny spent nine years working in Amazon, most recently as Chief Marketing Officer of Prime and Amazon North America, where she led Prime Day and the Prime Marketing Globally. Prior to her role at Prime, she built the first marketing organization within Amazon Retail and served as the CMO of Amazon Fashion. On the show today, we talk about Grove, sustainability and CPG and why that's so hard, as well as the marketing and distribution expansion that Grove is undertaking. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jenny Perry. Jenny, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here, Alan. And I'm excited for this conversation. And I hate to bring up awkward situations at the beginning of an interview, but I hear you have a doozy with, that includes wine, Beyonce, and Jay-Z. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I'll give you a little bit of background about this situation. 
So my first role at Amazon was to build a marketing capability for the clothing business. As part of that, we decided that to be successful, we had to build credibility with the industry. So we sponsored the Met Gala, which is a relatively high pressure event, as you can imagine, and is also a little bit pricey from a sponsorship standpoint. And my team decided that to just bring it to life for customers as well, we should live stream this event live stream the red carpet on Amazon's homepage. We called it the gateway page, which was the first time we had live streamed anything on Amazon's gateway page. Jeff Bezos co-chaired the event with Anna Wintour. As you can imagine, both of these individuals have pretty high standards. So it was a little bit of a nerve wracking event for me. And after the event, it went really well. We didn't crash the website. We expected the media to be pretty strong and we had good customer viewing numbers. And after the event, I had this moment where I was feeling pretty good. Like, you know, I had made my way through the Met Gala, which can be an intimidating affair. And I had this moment where I felt good. And after the gala, I walked into this beautiful room. There was, it was a little bit of an after party. And there in front of me is Beyonce and Jay-Z. And I'm feeling pretty good in my skin, as I mentioned. And I take a step forward. I don't know what I was thinking. I I think I was almost thinking I was going to go up and introduce myself. And I wiped out. I tripped up my gown. (laughs) I fell flat and poured a glass of white wine on myself. And I mean, I was literally two feet in front of Beyonce and Jay-Z. Did you hit them? I did not hit them. I came short of hitting them. Good job. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Which I considered a win. And this lovely woman scooped me up and said something like, this happens all the time. And at least it wasn't red wine. Yeah, that's very true. (laughs) And I shuffled off. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you should have, you should have continued to introduce yourself. They would have never forgotten you after that. That is true. That is a good point. I'll put that in the list of life regrets right there. Oh, it just goes to show, I mean, it happened. These things happen to everybody and at the most inopportune times as well. They do. And it's one of those things where it's kind of like the minute you feel a little bit too sure of yourself, <laughs> you know, life is there to remind you. <laughs> life just knocks you right about. back down. Yeah, <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Keeping it real. Oh, man. I'm not even sure how to transition, but we'll transition. (laughs) Let's talk about career path. Where did you get started? And obviously, you were at Amazon for a period of time, and now you're the CMO at Grove Collective. So where did it all begin? When I think about my career, I kind of think about it as a progression of learning about myself and what I like to do, what I'm relatively good at, and what I'm curious about. And so my first role was in consulting. I actually entered, I've always loved math, and I entered college as an engineering major, and I left as an economics major. But when I came out of undergrad, I really wanted to work on hard analytical problems. And I worked for a consulting firm and got like super busy developing economic models and traveling the country and developing proposals and strategies that I thought were super smart. And that eventually clients either did or didn't act upon. So what I learned about myself with that role was that I really wanted to feel accountable for work. I wanted to be more in a decision-making role. And I've always been curious about consumer products. 
My dad worked for Heinz for 35 years. He was in manufacturing. So I grew up spending time in factories and eventually working in factories and for summer jobs. And I went back to school. I decided I wanted to be in marketing because I, I really felt like that was a area where I could leverage my love for kind of analytics and math, but also think more about people. And I went to business school and I came out of business school and I went to work for Kraft Foods. And I feel like I kind of got my third degree at Kraft in brand marketing. I had a ton of fun there. And it really is the um, brand management I found really was a good area that allowed you to marry analytics and creativity. And I was at Kraft Foods for about five years. And what I learned about being in the CPG industry, working for a large established firm, was that I was really hungry to take more risk and to be more creative. So I was lucky enough that a, a leader at Kraft Foods had moved on to what at the time was a relatively small company. It was Old Navy. It was a teeny tiny when I went, but I went to work for Old Navy to work for a leader at Kraft Foods. And I just loved the creative environment at Gap. And I was there for almost 10 years. And what I learned about myself at Old Navy was that I love to be in building roles. So when I went to Old Navy, the company was less than about, it was less than $500 million in sales. And when I exited the company, it was close to $6 billion. And it was this fresh new format. And it was in strip malls and traditionally clothing retailers hadn't been in strip malls. It was modeled after a grocery store. It felt like a grocery store when you walked through and you shopped it. And I really enjoyed my time there. I learned a lot. I had a bunch of different roles. And then I really felt like I was ready for my next endeavor. And I went to Amazon. So I went to Amazon and I worked on, in the clothing business. Amazon had struggled for a long time to kind of win in the clothing category. The Amazon playbook that worked really well on a bunch of retail cat categories just wasn't quite working in clothing. And I think kind of out of desperation, they decided that some marketing might help <laughs> <laughs> because Amazon traditionally didn't lean on marketing as a, a major driver of their business. So I went to work on the clothing business and I, I did that for quite a while. I built up the first marketing team within retail and we grew that business. I was privileged enough to work with a group of, of, of leaders there that grew the business, I think 20-fold by the time I left that role. And then I moved on to be the CMO of Prime worldwide and headed up Amazon Marketing in North America. And that was my that was my last role before growth. Well, despite my attempts, we have not had anyone from Amazon on. And I know you're not there anymore, but what's it like to work there and in marketing in particular? It's a really good question. So a lot of people ask me about Amazon because you know the impression is Amazon is super hard. And it is. It has like Amazon is very fast-paced. It's a super innovative company. It's just, it's got a tremendous amount of highly talented people. So it is, it's a very, it's a challenging environment. I found it super exciting. One of the things I admire about Amazon the most is that it maintains a real entrepreneurial environment. 
even in despite of its size, it works very hard to make sure that people have autonomy. And it really does have a culture of thinking big and risk-taking. And those are two of the things that I really absorbed while I was there. So I really enjoyed my time at Amazon and I found the company to be, you know, a really exciting place to work. What brought you to Grove? So I left, I actually left Amazon about a year before I took the role at Grove. As I mentioned, I really enjoyed my time at Amazon and it was hard to leave, but I have a 14-year-old daughter at the time, 13, and I really wanted to take some time off and travel with her. So I left Amazon in November of 2019 with plans to go to Europe for about a month, and we were going to leave in April of 2020. So of course, that didn't go as planned. That's one of those, the best laid plan situations. But in retrospect, it worked out well. I was able to be home and present and super focused while we were going through all the stages of the pandemic and still are, of course. And then I really wasn't, you know, I hadn't geared myself up to exploring, you know, new opportunities yet, but I was contacted by a member of the board of Grove about this role. And what I knew, I wasn't looking quite yet, but what I knew when I did wanted to start looking, I knew there were three things that I wanted to focus on. And those were really, at this stage of my career, I was ready to work for a really mission-driven company. I wanted an environment where I could really accelerate the business. As I mentioned before, I've learned that I really like to be in areas where I can help build teams and businesses and strategies. I'm kind of a builder by nature. And I also look for opportunities where you can benefit the customer a lot. So where I can touch customers' lives every single day. And Grove has all three of those things really in spades. And it was an opportunity I didn't want to pass up. Plus the people that I met with were just, you know, super inviting and warm. And the people you meet, you know, Grove is a mission-based company. And the people that choose to work for an environment like that are super dedicated and enthusiastic. And so that's why I chose to take the job. Let's talk a little bit about Grove and how do you describe the company and what you guys do? Grove is the leading sustainable customer products company. And as I mentioned, it's mission-based. And really what we want to do is transform the consumer products industry into a force for human and environmental good. So the company was founded on the premise of making it easier for customers to buy sustainable products. So we create, we create our own products and we bring a selection of products onto our website as well that give customers um, the opportunity to buy healthy home essentials like cleaning supplies and personal care products. Right now, we have a flexible monthly delivery model. So we make it easy for you to buy the stuff that you need and to have, you know, have it delivered to you conveniently. We've got 2 million lifetime customers, and we just recently launched in Target. So that was the first time we had launched some of our own products outside of our, of our own website. And in April, we launched in Target. CPG is a hard space. I mean, like just in general, <laughs> so it, it's, not an easy, it's not an easy place to try to enter into. Did the company start direct and then, it sounds like you started direct and then moved into retail with the Target. 
Yeah, we started direct about nine years ago and started with all third-party brands like Mrs. Myers and Seventh Generation. And, and we eventually began launching our own products. What we found was that our relationship with customers allowed us to see opportunities to develop new products, new form factors and packaging for products. And so we kind of consider that we co-create products with customers that meet their needs. That's kind of how we consider our product development model. And we also have a, I have a lot of respect for the company, which decided to do this before I started. I've been with the company now about seven months, but the company chose to make a bold claim that we would be plastic free by 2025. So no plastic in the products that we create or that we carry on our website. And to do that, we really felt like we had to lead the industry by leaning more into developing our own products and leading the way with new form factors for the packaging. Well, now, sustainability is hard in CPG. I mean, well, it's hard anywhere, but in CPG in particular, when you're talking about cleaning products, products that need to be in a store that might need to be shelf stable, and in cleaning and just solvents, like water is a huge component of, of what, of what you're shipping around, right? How are you guys tackling that? And, and to be plastic free in 2025, I mean, kudos, that's a audacious goal. And I want to see somebody get there. So I hope you, hope you can, but like, how are you guys tackling sustainability in general? Just to address the claim, one of the exciting things about working for a company like Grove is we're not sure how we're going to get there. We've got, but we know we will. <laughs> and we are making tremendous progress. So how do we think about it? Well, we have a brilliant product development team and we are constantly looking for ways to actually take water out of our products. And we just a couple of months ago launched, as an example, this really cool product, which I'm now obsessed with, which are laundry sheets. So there is no water in the product. There's no plastic. It's a paper box and they are sheets of detergent and you just toss them in your, your washing machine and they work brilliantly. So that is one of the things that, you know, we think about a lot within our marketing team in conjunction with our, our brand, our owned brand teams, the product development group is how to communicate to customers that you don't have to sacrifice performance for sustainability, because that is a conception, uh, that's a misconception out there in the market that you often, it's a trade-off that you can't have one without the other. And one of the exciting things that I get to do is talk about our products, which actually deliver on performance really well. But to answer your question, it's really hard. And that's tackling the sustainability issues are tough. And what we decided to do is really focus on the plastic crisis because it's massive and the CPG industry is a large contributor to that crisis. And Grove really believes that we have an obligation and responsibility to help solve it. Over 321 billion pounds of plastic is created every single year. What people don't understand about plastic, and frankly, I'm including myself before I came to work for Grove, is that plastic can only be recycled once or twice. Plastic is not infinitely recyclable. Glass, 
paper and aluminum are much more, are materials that are able to be recycled much more. So by creating plastic, it just, it just doesn't work. We can't recycle our way out of the plastic problem. And total honesty, the CPG industry has kind of leaned into making this a problem for customers by encouraging them to recycle, but it really just isn't a solution. I think you're already going to go there, but you, uh, which was this crazy stat that like only 9% of recycled material is actually recycled. (laughs) It's true. I mean, did you, I had no idea. I had no idea either. When I was interviewing for the role, I was speaking to somebody and they talked about the recycling myth. I kind of thought to myself, oh, wow, this is like, they're really off the grid, right? Like they're eco warriors over there at Grove. And then I realized it's a hundred percent true. Only 9% of the stuff that you put in your recycling bin gets recycled. And part of that is because it can't, a lot of it can't be because it has a limited number of times it can be recycled. So it's already gone through that process. Some of the, some of the packaging already has. So it's reaching the end of its recyclable life. And some of it is because of capacity for recycling and we'll never be able to recycle our way out of the plastic problem. And so this stuff shows up in our oceans and in our water. And it's, it's something that we've kind of shouldered as a problem to solve. I mean, it's a massive problem. I mean, the, you use the stat and it's mind boggling, like 321 billion pounds of plastic being produced in the U S and only 9% of material gets recycled. And I mean, it, it's just mind boggling and, and gosh, you know, like for you and me, we both have daughters, you know, teenage daughters and like, they have to live with this stuff that we're creating. Applaud your efforts. These laundry sheets sound crazy, but like, wow, that, I mean, what a reduction in water usage, in packaging material. Those are the types of innovations I think we're going to need to crack this, right? Like, A hundred percent. I agree. And we have some other really clever solves as well, which is you had mentioned the issue with water and it's expensive to ship water. And it's taxing our resources to do that. And so we have a line of cleaning concentrates with bottles, kind of forever bottles. And you put, you can buy a very small cleaning concentrate, add your own water to it. So it's a system that allows you to reduce plastic and everything's in glass. So it allows you to reduce plastic and cut down on the inefficiencies and, and the burden on the planet that shipping, you know, water heavy products around creates. Not to mention it, it's cheaper for you guys to ship too. <laughs> like, like it's a win-win for everybody on that one. Right. Which allows us to, uh, because, you know, like glass is more expensive than plastic, right? But by doing things like that, you can use that to pull down the cost for customers. So these products are accessible to customers and they can make they can make the buying decisions that they want to make. I mean, one of the interesting things when I took the role was when we started to dig into the customer data that I learned was we don't have to convince customers to care about sustainability. They already do. And they're expecting more from their products, but we're not doing the industry at large isn't doing a good enough job with making them available. Yeah. And to your point, I make it easy for, you know, somebody like myself, I guess I could go out and buy like whatever the right combination is like lemon juice and 
vinegar or something, <laughs> you know, right? And, and make my own like homemade cleaning solution. But like, I don't have time to do that. I don't know. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. What to do. But if you sell me a concentrate, I pour it in. I just fill up my bottle with water. Got it. I can do that. <laughs> you know, like that I can do. And I, and I, I do want to to the, to your point like I do want to recycle I mean I feel that's the crazy thing about these stats is like I fill my recycling bin my recycling bin is overfilling and I've got reduced my trash but if only 9%s getting back into the system like man you got to so- I got to solve it some other way and I still do I still recycle I yeah wholeheartedly yeah. and, we, and, and anybody that's <laughs> listening to this program you should still recycle don't get us wrong exactly Exactly. Cause, cause nine, even if only 10% gets into the stream, like it, it's better than nothing. So like, please keep recycling. It's an and situation. Yes. But yeah, no, it's, it's pretty interesting what you're doing from a packaging and product form factor and, and innovation front. How are you tackling marketing? Like, how are you expanding your marketing efforts and, and channels as the company grows? When I came to the business and started to assess kind of where we were, I kind of came to the conclusion that Grove had kind of quietly taken on solving this incredibly important problem for customers and really for humanity at large, but we really weren't talking about it (laughs) very much. We had had a really uh, successful performance marketing via paid social uh, strategy that had, had brought new customers to our website for quite a while. We had really loyal customer following. And we had these social channels that allow us to talk to customers and really understand the relationship that they have with Grove, which is rich and committed. So I did. I thought through a handful of things when I started, really with the team. And that is the first job we had to do was get really clear on our brand and our brand positioning. Because although we were living it and the company was founded on a very clear mission, we hadn't articulated that. So when you don't articulate it, you limit your ability to act upon it across all mediums. So we did that, re-examined our marketing mix, thought through our creative, and then focused on the entire customer journey. So those were kind of the big pillars that I set for myself to work through when I started and all driven through the customer's eyes and thinking through like what the customer really wants. And as I mentioned, the first job that we had to do was sharpen our positioning. 
And where we landed was that we wanted to transform the CPG industry into a force for human and environmental good, which I've probably already said in our conversation. Now I find that it just, it's like part of how I talk about Grove all the time. And that the only path forward, this is literally part of our positioning, the only path forward is through sustainability and the time to act is now. So we kind of gave ourselves permission to be more urgent in our communication and in how we are thinking through our marketing channels. And that part has been super exciting because now our CEO, Stu Lannisberg, when I hear him interviewed, I hear him saying this stuff. And that's how I know that we really have hit upon the heart and soul of the company. And so we really, once we kind of sharpened our positioning, we looked at our media mix and it was clear that we need to diversify our media mix and that we have our social media presence had been effective at acquiring customers, but had not been effective in really supporting long-term brand awareness. So we had a huge opportunity there to think across all marketing channels. And in the last handful of months, we have invested more in things like streaming media. We've just launched Linear TV. We're having fun seeing some success in things like TikTok and affiliate marketing. So we're really broadening our channel, our channel diversity. And then the other thing that I feel really passionately about is really taking a look at the entire customer journey. I work very closely with our tech team in thinking about customer behavior on the site and marrying that with customer research so we understand why customers are behaving the way they are on our site. And taking a look at, is our site experience supporting what we believe as a brand? Are we easy enough for customers? Are we making it as easy as possible for them to try sustainable products. And that's everything from how the site works to shipping order minimums and good stuff like that. So the other thing that I have spent a lot of time with the team doing is really thinking through our our business model and where we have areas of opportunity to make things easier for customers. It's amazing to me also that despite, you know, early success and performance in social media that you still have to broaden your marketing mix. You're doing that. I've heard that from so many other D2C brands in the last couple of years as well as they, frankly, I think you start to hit like this diminishing return curve pretty quick in performance unless you're doing other things, right? To, to help broaden that mix out and, and build a, a longer effect, if you will, of marketing. So that's amazing. And Kudos for you guys launching into streaming and and even linear old school TV. (laughs) You know, it still works. Yeah, it does. And we, again, like this is one of those things about working for Grove that's so amazing. We decided, you know, that we landed on this bolder proposition for customers that we wanted to reflect that in creative and how we talk to customers. So the uh, internal creative team, we worked with our own creative team and developed a new TV campaign that really takes on kind of plastic and coming from larger CPG firms. And there's a member of the marketing team in the ad with her son. I love that. <laughs> One of our art directors is the voiceover. And we just launched it on Linear. And, you know, it was, it's on college football. It's on ESPN. It's on, uh, we ran it through for 
the U.S. Open, some premium placement, the U.S. Open. So we're having a lot of fun with it. And we're super excited about how it's reflecting the brand. And it's also performing for us. So I have a philosophy. You know, I think we get caught up quite a bit about talking about performance marketing versus brand marketing. And I have a philosophy that you can lean into one or the other. But for the most part, marketing needs to do both. Not It's not a 100% rule, but it's a 95% rule. So we're, we're excited about trying uh, a new approach to creative and getting into these, these channels. Because it's just, you know, as you said, overly dependency, being overly dependent on um, paid social is really tough. And I think a lot of us are struggling right now, particularly with stuff that's going on with Facebook and iOS 14. It's been super challenging. I have a feeling it's going to continue to get more challenging versus less, especially with like the privacy aspect of it and and things like that. You know, unfortunately, us as marketers, we're going to have to figure it out, right? Like we still have to sell things and we still have to market to people and, you know, we'll just have to find our way to the new, the new solution uh, going forward. That's what makes the the job fun. Yeah, it's always changing. Doesn't always feel like fun. No, no, it just feels like <laughs> relentless change uh, many days, but we'll figure it out. Exactly. Yep. A hundred percent. Not every second of every day, but for the most part, it's super fun. What's been the lessons you've learned so far in the job, either at Grove um, and that you're you know, applying there or, or you're applying from prior, you know, prior experiences? Well, let's see. One is to never underestimate the power of a really clear strategy that you can actually write down on a piece of paper. I have a saying, uh, you know, write it down, write it down on a piece of paper. And I'm a big fan of narrative documents and I work in a world of PowerPoint enthusiasts. (laughs) So that it's been a learning curve for both me and the team. Because I don't know. Have you heard of the the legendary Amazon? Maybe not. Oh, so yeah. The, the memo just, or the two page. I, I can't remember. I always. Yeah. The document. The, document. the six page. Yes. Yeah. So having worked at Amazon, as I mentioned, for close to a decade, one of the tools that Amazon uses is to create really thoughtful documents. And it's, it's strange the first couple of times it happens to you go to a meeting and you read the document in the meeting. So there's silence at the beginning of the meeting which is kind of odd if you're not used to that. But I find it really powerful because when you create a document, a narrative document, there's no way to hide behind fancy charts or animation in PowerPoint. You really just kind of lay the thinking bare and it allows you to have a really rich conversation about strategy and your ideas. And it allows you to have a healthy debate and really uncover where there's agreement, where there's disagreement, and get down to the work. So I think that's one of the things that I have found useful. And I appreciate about my team at Grove. They have an open mind and have kind of tolerated me uh, asking for things to be written down. But I think that it's, it's become really useful in our process. I think the other thing I would comment on is your success, my success is 100% dependent on having people on my team that's better and smarter than I am. And, you know, I've been, I haven't had a short career. I've been around for a little while. And it is a universal truth. People talk about it. And I cannot agree more. 
any success that I've had is because of my team. And I'm keenly aware of that and appreciative of my team and feel really fortunate to have some very talented people to work with at Grove. That's great. I totally agree on the people front, whole hundred percent. And the document, the, you know, the famous Amazon six pager, I've interviewed the former CMO at Audible uh, and talked about, he talked about that as well. The, the odd you know notion of walking by a room and everyone's quietly looking, you know, back in pre COVID days, everyone's quietly reading the paper in front of them before they start discussing. And it sounds it does sound off-putting at first because I think most of the rest of the world lives in a PowerPoint world, for better or for worse, most likely for worse. But in a consumer products space like like you're in, I can totally see, and I'm not saying this is true, but I could totally see in any kind of D2C world, the pretty pictures that we see and think of when we think of direct-to-consumer marketing could probably get in the way of like, what are we trying to accomplish? and how does that connect back to the business results we're trying to drive from time to time? Because it is so easy to make the physical thing look good you know, <laughs> and talk about the channels that we're going to go into because you can see them on the screen. And so it probably does force a whole discipline and thought process that I hadn't, hadn't really fully thought clearly about myself until you mentioned it. Yeah, that's true. And the other thing that happens is you spend valuable time making that PowerPoint presentation look pretty. Right. That's true. Spend your valuable time, spend your creativity developing like great Instagram ads and amazing content for customers and, you know, different ways the site works. But, you know, I'm a big fan of when you're talking about business strategy or you want to communicate an idea. I mean, sometimes, of course, you need a a visual representation of it, but, you know, just write it down on paper with words. And the other thing I think it really forces you to do is work with your team and with other teams. Because if you're presenting, and the philosophy at Amazon is nothing needs to be longer than six pages. If you're going to launch a new website in a new country, you can distill it into a six-page you know, narrative document. But when you're really, when you're putting something down on a piece of paper to sit in front of and look at, you can point to sentences and say, is this really true? You know, have you talked to this person about this? Would they agree to this? And it's something you can take to your partner in tech or your partner in, you know, product development and say, will you support this in a meeting that I'm having? So it becomes a really useful tool for teams to collaborate and gain alignment with. Thank you for sharing these insights and, and advice, if you will, for, for other people that are trying to you know improve their marketing efforts. Um, one of the things we like to do on the show is actually switch gears a little bit and get to know you a little bit more. Besides the the story we started at the top of the start top of the podcast with, which is what's making me giggle, has there been a, another experience uh, of your past that defines or makes up who you are today? Yes, in stark contrast <laughs> right. to that. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> so I would say one of the things that really defines who I am is that, and how I think about my my work and my life is that my grandparents on both sides were first gen- were the first in their generation to graduate from high school, and my parents were the first to graduate from college. My grandfather was literally a coal miner. 
So I come from, you know, family that had rich and wonderful lives and worked really hard to carve out a better life for themselves and their families. So I think one of the things that that has done for me is it's made me okay with taking on hard things and hard problems. And I'm okay with taking risks and working hard for what I believe in. And I think that that has been a real gift to come from a family that doesn't take things for granted. And, you know, education was always a big priority for my family. And so I, you know, I think that's one of the things that I really value in my background. What advice would you give your younger self if you're starting all over? I would give myself the advice to have a bolder voice sooner, faster. I think particularly as a woman in the workforce, it took me a while to realize that it wasn't enough just to be in the room. You know, that wasn't satisfying enough. It was also my challenge was to make change when I got to the room and to acknowledge that, you know, there are real bias headwinds and to, you know, trust my judgment and my opinion. And just to what I've learned over time is that I have pretty good judgment. It's worth advocating for. So I think I would just have told myself to speak up more quickly than I have. A couple more marketing related questions. Do you feel like there's a topic that marketers need to learn more about right now or that you're trying to learn more about? There's all the information about channels, which is just becoming more and more complex. So there's always that that I'm trying to learn about. But I think that one of the things we spend a lot of time thinking about is how to listen to customers. And then like kind of the second part of that in the more important or, or importantly, after you've listened to customers, how do you use that information to make decisions? So I think that I believe marketers should not only listen, but think about how to incorporate that into how to make decisions every day. Because I find that often people quote customer research, but they don't use the, the customer as a guiding light in how they make decisions and how they really build their businesses. Two more questions. Are there brands, companies, or causes that you personally follow or you think other people should take notice of? Yes, I am. Let's see where to start on that. Well, first, this is the obvious choice. I'm just going to step right into it is Amazon. Oh, yeah. I mean, I love sitting on the sidelines and watching what Amazon's doing. I'm obsessed with the Amazon One Palm Reader. Have you experienced that yet? No, I have not. (laughs) Alan, so now, you know, Amazon purchased Whole Foods, and this is where I ran into it, but you can pay for your grocery bill by a palm reader. You just wave your hand over a palm reader. I have not seen that. And and it's linked, of course, to your prime credit card and you get your prime discount in Whole Foods. I mean, it's slick and super easy. So I'm always interested by the technology and the thinking coming out of Amazon, of course. And then other stuff like I love watching what Dunkin' Donuts is up to. I mean, really, it's it's like what it, there's. I guess there aren't certain companies to follow. It's just like what are companies doing now, you know? And a couple of things that have just crossed my radar recently is Dunkin' Donuts um, has done such a great job attracting guest, younger customers with their social media. And they launched this new capsule of like really. They're just a fun brand that embraces their heritage, and I just like 
enjoyed watching what they do on social media and with their product development. They're a brand that knows who they are and knows who they are not. Exactly. And that I think that draws customers. And you mentioned you have a daughter. Are you familiar with Glossier? A little bit, a little bit. Not as familiar as probably she is, but, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> true. So as I mentioned, I have a 14-year-old daughter. So I'm, I uh, admire how Glossier has really been focused in their marketing and their packaging. Like, you know, it's different brands for different things. I think they do an excellent job with their packaging. When you get a box from Glossier, it's amazing. It's like a party. <laughs> oh, boy. Last question for you. What do you feel like is the largest either opportunity or threat that marketers are facing today? I think you kind of alluded to it earlier, which is the threat, I think, is complacency. So, you know, things are changing quickly. That's It's only going to accelerate. Customers' lives are complicated um, and busy. And I think the real opportunity is for marketers to help build an organization around principles of curiosity and experimentation, because you cannot dictate innovation. It has to come from within. And so if we stand a chance of keeping up with the fast pace of change, you know, it has to come from within the company and you have to just kind of be wired to experiment quickly, fail fast, try new things, balance thinking, you know, years into the future with what's going on today. And I think that really comes from an organization, as I mentioned before, that appreciates curiosity and experimentation and makes that part of how they actually do the work. Curiosity and experimentation. You heard it here first. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jenny, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, It's been fun and and enlightening, like what you're doing and, and, you know, Grove's ambitious goals to help our planet and consumers. So thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Thanks so much. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with support from my team and podcast editors, sound engineers, and writers at Share Your Genius. Find them at shareyourgenius.com. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners. You can contact me on marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you will also find complete show notes, links to what was discussed in the episode today, and you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today.